It's something for nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. We begin today's episode, Jer, with some gut-wrenching news for the Rush family. On Friday, March 25th, Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins passed away. I know. What, what an incredible shock. I had just, I was just on Instagram scrolling through whatever, and a new post showed up from the official Foo Fighters site. A little thing about Taylor passing away. And I, I, I thought it was, I don't know what I thought it was, a, a joke tied into the, the 666 movie. I don't know what it was. And he was one of us, Jer. That's the thing that makes this even more heartbreaking. He was a dyed-in-the-wool Rush fan, just like you and me. He was a hardcore Rush fan. And I'm sure you remember, Steve, when we were thinking about going to see Rush inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we're like, we, we should probably go, right? We're like, yeah, we have, we should probably go. Let's think about going. But then when it was announced that Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins were going to induct them, we were like, we have to go now. We are definitely going to this show now. Yeah. And we haven't talked about this a lot, but we are huge Foo Fighters fans as well. Yes. So that was a double amazing experience to see Taylor and Dave induct them and then see Rush get inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And Taylor was over the moon that night. He was beside himself, absolutely beside himself with joy. And then the two of them and Nick Rasculin dressed up mm-hmm. in satin outfits to play the Overture of 2112 was just one of the best things I've ever seen was amazing. And he was killing it on the drums, yeah. killing it, killing it. Yeah. And I'm sure you've seen the video of him playing YYZ at a Foo Fighter show. Oh yeah. With Alex and Getty. Mm-hmm. And if you just watch him, he is a, a kid all over again, just playing with his heroes. It was so much fun watching that. And on Twitter, I posted a photo that I found online of Neil and Taylor from that night, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And I posted it, and Andy Curran, who was on our podcast and is close friends with Rush, replied and told me he took the photo. Right. And it was an incredible photo, and Andy said that, again, Taylor was just over the moon that night and killed it on the drums. Yeah, and just hearing all of the great comments from everybody in the music industry and fans all over the place. What an incredible loss, uh, you know, for music, but also obviously for his family and for his bandmates and all of his friends. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. And in case anybody didn't see it on Instagram and on Twitter, Rush, Getty and Alex, of course, posted something about Taylor. They said, we are so very shocked and said to hear the devastating news of the sudden passing of our musical brother, Taylor Hawkins. He was such an incredible, positive source of music, energy, and love, and a true artist to his very core. There are simply no words to adequately express just how much he will be missed by all, including Alex, myself, and the entire Rush family. So obviously this was written by Getty. Our hearts, love, and sympathy go out to Taylor's family as well as the Grohl's, and the extended Foos family. Rest in peace, brother, Getty and Alex. And you can add to that Jerry and Steve, because I couldn't have said it better. Yeah. Just, just shocking and heartbreaking, the whole thing. So anyway, we had today's episode already recorded, and we thought we'd jump in and say something about Taylor, because he meant a lot to us too. Yeah. As Foo Fighters fans and as Rush fans. All right, Jer, back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. It's something for nothing, the Rush fan cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you today? I'm doing great, Steve. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an exciting time to be a Rush fan, don't you think? It is. There's lots happening. Lots happening. Envy of Nuns album is coming out very soon, April 8th. I can't wait. Can you wait? Well, I mean, yeah, I can wait. You're going to have to. 
I understand your excitement, but I have no, I have no choice but to wait. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email Jerry, TheRushCast at gmail.com. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jerry, another exciting thing is, you know, we always talk about how lucky we are to be in the New York City area. That's right. We sure are. Another reason to be lucky to be in the New York City area, right? I know, right. Alex Lifeson is doing an auction along with Julian's at the Hard Rock Cafe in New York. Right. I know. Now, did you see the list of items that are being auctioned off at this auction? I sure did. I actually went the step and actually ordered the auction book. Did you really? I did, because I just wanted to see all of this stuff to see if there was any thing I could possibly, possibly afford. My guess is no. Well, I mean, we can't go through every single thing, but pretty much all the guitars that Alex used on every Rush record are being auctioned off. It's incredible. Right. Including the Gibson. Yeah. That he uses the white one. I think it's a semi-hollow. It looks amazing. I I mean, I looked up to see, you know, what would the, what would the estimate be on what it's going to go for? And Somebody from Julian's said it was going to be like at least $200,000. Wow. So I'm not buying that. (laughs) I'm hoping to get a balled up napkin maybe that he used somewhere. So anyway, this auction is happening on May 20th, 21st, and 22nd in New York City. So we should go and hold up one of those signs and bid on stuff. What do you think? <laughs> yes, I always wanted to do that. <laughs> I could just, I'll, we'll just be the opening bidder and we'll be outbid, but it would be fun just to hold up the sign and have the auctioneer recognize us. But also there's going to be like a week long preview of all of the items. I'm assuming all of the items, maybe most of the items at their Hard Rock Cafe. We have to go, don't we? Right beforehand. We're going to have to go just to see them. Well, I'm looking at the additional items up for auction include concert and tour ephemera, passes and photographs, as well as original lyric sheets. I think I may be able to bid on a pass. How much do you think a backstage pass would go for? I have the slightest idea. You're going to have to let me know what you bid on. So I'm also not bidding on it. And we just kind of outbid <laughs> each other. I'm hoping to get a pass for 50 bucks. What do you think? It's a dream, Steve. You can, you can dream all you want. I can dream. And I can also dream about an email, Jerry. You got an email for us to get us started? Actually, today I don't have an email. Steve. What? I don't have an email today. Okay. Instead, I'm going to tell you about someone who follows us on Instagram. Her Instagram handle is Vicky underscore Demigoddess. She's an artist. She lives in Ukraine. Oh, geez. And she's had to leave her home because of the war. Oh, man. And she's had to leave literally everything behind everything she had. She just had to, to leave with whatever she could carry. And she has an Etsy shop where she's selling digital art because she doesn't have any of her actual art supplies because she had to leave them behind. Well, she's selling art on her Etsy shop just for money to get by because she's a refugee now. And if you want to, you can go to her Etsy shop, which is Geeky Vicky Arts. That's G-E-E-K-Y-V-I-C-K-Y-A-R-T-S. She has some art. I bought one called Glory to Ukraine. It's a beautiful art piece, a bird flying over a beautiful landscape. She also has other things that she's adding in the coming weeks. So head on over there and help her out if you can. Well, thanks for bringing that up. Great thing to do for a fellow Rush fan. And for a Ukrainian refugee, I mean, so many thousands of people being displaced by this war. It's just terrible. It is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So, Jar, today on the Rush FanCast, we decided to do something we've done before. We did Rush origin stories. What was it, a few months ago? And the feedback we got was really tremendous. People love hearing how other people got into Rush. It's amazing. So we're going to do it again today. We've got a whole bunch of listeners lined up to give us their Rush origin stories. And our first guests are from Tacoma, Washington, a mother and daughter Rush fan family, Jer, Diana and Sarah Pratt. Welcome to the Rush FanCast. Thank you. You know the question we're going to ask. What is your Rush origin story, Diana? 
When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? So I had a brother who was seven years older than me and he used to buy a lot of albums and then record them on eight track. And he was always like my biggest, who was my biggest musical influence. So every once in a while, he'd let me ride with him. He had a 69 Chevelle and we'd listen to eight tracks. And then whenever he'd get a new album, he would usually show it to me and we kind of talk about it. He'd show me the cover, um, talk about the band, play me a couple songs. And so I know it was around 1977 and I was 12 years old. He had a stereo and I used to sneak in and listen to albums when he was gone, which he told me not to do. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so one day he caught me. And, um, and he was pretty mad, but he was also really cool about it. And he wanted to know, like, you know, who I was listening to. And um, and I told him mostly sticks at the time. And so he told me I could use his stereo, but only if I asked him. And he also encouraged me to use my own record player and um, I could borrow. And so I would borrow his sticks albums quite a bit. And the reason I know that it was around 1977 is because the Grand Illusion album came out and he got it new and recorded it on eight track and then handed it to me and said I could have it, which was really cool. It was my first album. And so then around that time, he brought me another album and handed it to me and he said, you need to listen to this one. You're really going to like it. And they're really cool. And he told me this band only has three guys in it, but you're not going to believe they sound like this with three guys. It's like your band has five. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and the album was his Rush 2112 album. And he told me that it had like a little scratch or something in it. So it would get stuck at one part, but he handed it over to me. And I started listening to it and it actually didn't um, get stuck the first couple of times through. And when I told him that, cause he asked me about it, he wanted to know if I liked it. And he said, well, if it doesn't, you know, get stuck on your record player, it's yours. You can have it. So I would sit on my bedroom floor with my record player in front of me holding that album. And I probably listened to it. I mean, I would say 500 times <laughs> front and back. I just loved it. And I read all the liner notes. I read all the lyrics, read everything, tried to figure out which guy was which. Um, and I noticed, of course, the name Getty, which I thought was really cool. And I actually decided, 12 years old, sitting on my bedroom floor, if I ever got married and had a son, I would name him Getty. And so, and, she did. and I did. <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I eventually did get married um, and had two daughters, and we had a son. His name is Getty. His middle name is Thomas, which is after my brother. And um, and so that started it. Uh, my brother took me to my first Rush concert. It was Grace Under Pressure in 1984. I went with him and his wife and then went to quite a few concerts with him. I don't think I missed much between Grace Under Pressure and R40. But originally, I'd go with my brother, his wife, their friends, and then later on with my husband, and then our family. And our first, um, our first family rush concert was our thirty, where we took all three kids. And that was that was my first rush concert. Was our thirty? So my husband did become somewhat of a rush fan, and I, you know, I did have to convince him a little bit on the name Getty, but he went <laughs> along with it. <laughs> I would, I would imagine I would take it just a little bit of convincing. A little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, he went for it. And then uh, eventually he stopped, you know, wanting to go to concerts all the time. And um, or he didn't want to hang out with me because we're divorced now. <laughs> but um, Sarah became my concert buddy. So we've gone to lots of shows, lots of bands together. I've seen Rush 23 times. Mm -hmm. And I think together, she and I saw them 10. 10. I've been to 10. There's so much in that story. The first thing is, I didn't even know you could record eight tracks. <laughs> yeah. <Me> neither. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, would, um, he was really particular about his albums. And so he'd you know, record them and then put them away. And 
that was one of the reasons he let me continue to use his stereo because he said he noticed that I took really good care of his albums the way he taught me. Wow, well, that's, <laughs> that's quite the audio file to have an eight track recorder back in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> and did you marry into the name Pratt? I did. I did it. <laughs> that's amazing. It is amazing. I did it know at the time that that was Neil's nickname, but found out later. And my son's pretty proud of the fact that he is Getty Pratt. And um, he actually told me um, several years ago, he bought me the 2112 album when they re-released it. And um, he said he bought it off the Rush website and he had to put his name in, of course, you know, to ship to Getty Pratt. He said, (laughs) they noticed. (laughs) And they probably thought it was a fake name. Absolutely. 100%. Most people think that Getty's name is not his real name. Like they'll be like, is that your legal name? Yeah. Yeah, it is. So Sarah, you were basically born into Rush fandom then, weren't you? Yeah. The first time I heard Rush was probably when I was, when you were pregnant with me. (laughs) At some point the baby can hear. I remember though, when I was really little, we were driving in the car. I think we were going to my grandma's house and I remember hearing the past for the first time. So I don't know if that's like, you know, I was really little, like maybe, I don't know, four or five. Um, that's probably when I first like appreciated it. I remember when I heard it, I thought it was different. Like there's something about it that I thought was different from their other songs. And it's still one of my favorite songs. And you've continued the family tradition, Sarah, with uh, naming children after Rush members, haven't you? Yeah, my baby is a year old, and his name is Peart. <laughs> so you guys are doing something amazing to honor Neil Peart. You're visiting all of the United States national parks. Is that correct? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So in 2018, um, I was graduating from grad school, and my mom wanted to go on a summer trip to California. And like, we both love road trips and I really like to hike and camp and stuff. And um she wanted where you wanted to like go to go visit family and stuff in California. Yeah. And I was like, well we could go to all these parks. And so we planned and she every park I mentioned, she's like, Neil went there. Neil yeah. went there. Neil's been, been there. Yeah, I'd been reading his books for years, like over and over. So so we went on that first trip, but before we had planned it probably a year in advance. And um Somewhere along the lines of planning it, we decided we were going to go to all of them, just like Neil did. And we've been, so that was in 2018 was our first trip. And um, we've been to 40 parks now. There's 63 total. We'll hit about 10 more new ones this year. So we're getting closer, but (laughs) some of them are really hard to get to because they're in, you know, Alaska. Yeah. So we're trying. (laughs) So what's your favorite of the national parks that you visited? Well, Yosemite's always been our favorite. I My dad grew up near Yosemite, and so he took my mom when they when you guys were dating or whatever. Yeah. Anyways, we, we've been going there for a really long time, and so that's always been our favorite. And nothing, I mean, for both of us, right? Nothing has been, there's a, like, every single park is so unique and cool we've loved all of them but nothing really compares to yosemite but so besides that the utah parks are really cool mm-hmm. like arches zion but yeah we love yosemite mm-hmm. but we always have it's kind of it's kind of unfair you can't really compare any national park to yosemite well thanks so much for joining us today on the rush fancast and sharing your stories with us diana and sarah pratt have a great day thank, thank you, you. So a bunch of things, Jared, that jump out at me about their story. First of all, you got to love a mother and daughter who are Rush fans. That's a cool thing. That is pretty cool. I agree. Second thing, Diana's son's name is Getty. Getty Pratt. I mean, come on. (laughs) How great is that? That's probably the most unique name you'll ever hear. In your life, right? I don't think there's there's probably not another human being named Getty Pratt. And Sarah's baby is Peart. Right. I mean, we call ourselves Rush fans, but you would never name your child Peart, would you? No, my wife would, would have killed me, I think, <laughs> if I just wrote down Peart on the, on the birth certificate. 
And the other great thing is what they're doing, visiting all the national parks. I mean, that, that is a great, great thing. Forget being a rush fan, but just, just in general, it's a great thing to do as a mother and daughter together. Yeah. I think it's a fun thing. They also have an Instagram that you can follow for their exploits. It's official underscore NP tour. Oh, nice. So they post all the pictures of the national parks up there. Yep. Very cool. Very cool. Our next guest, Jared, reached out to us on Twitter. He is a chef in New York City at the Mercer Kitchen. Chef Chris Beicher, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you guys. Really appreciate you joining us. You know the question we're going to ask you, Chris. What is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Well, first of all, I'm old enough to be a Rush fan since the beginning. And since I'm at an advanced age, there's a lot of things I don't remember, but <laughs> I can remember the exact date or the exact time that uh, I was introduced to Rush. And I was like 15 years old. And uh, back then it was, it was like the, the, you know, Mike Myers in the Wayne's world where he goes up to uh, his partner there and he's like, oh man, you, I got this album. You got to listen to this. It's my friends coming over to my house with the 2112 album. And it's like, you know, you got it. You got to hear this. this is like, this is like the best band. This is like the best band. And, uh, you know, there's not much I remember, but I remember that moment. And, uh, you know, of course, we uh, really enjoyed the music. And my first album I bought was All the World's a Stage. And I played that many, many, many times. So I've been a Rush fan since like 76. And uh, my first concert was in Binghamton on the Moving Pictures Tour. And we actually, my wife and I dragged my wife to a Rush concert, believe it or not. <laughs> a Neil Diamond fan, I dragged her to a Rush concert. <laughs> And uh, I don't remember too much about the concert, but it was, it was nice. We stayed in the same hotel that they did because we're walking down the hallway. And it was a holiday in and I see, you know, Getty and uh, Alex walking down being corny with each other. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, you know, I've been a true Rush fan all the time. I never sort of laid off of them as a lot of people did at certain stages. You know, every time they have an album, it's, you know, it's their child and it's, it's, and you have to treat it like that, right? So you have to, if it's not familiar or if it's not the same, you have to learn to appreciate it. And that's, you know, it's, I think one of the special things about that band is that they never, you know, they're always looking forward and different and different things want to pique their interest and well, their music's sort of like meanders, you know, for all this time in a good way. I mean, even like when they get into the heavy synth stuff, I mean, before it comes out, you're like, oh, they have an album coming out, and then it comes out, and you go, you buy the album, and you listen to it, and you like, and with Rush, you always have, you know, the first listen is never the, you know, you're never going to make your opinion off of that, so you have to keep listening, keep listening, keep listening, but all the nuances, all the things, is this complicated music, and uh, you know, you you learn to love it for the vast majority of it. It's a couple of songs that you know I, I would probably not listen to again um, if I had my druthers, but you know, for the most part. I think Getty said, you know, the, the, uh, he's grateful for the fans to be on the journey with them. And that's really what it is. It is a journey. It's a musical journey because they have the prowess to make whatever music they want. And not all bands can do that. Right. So another thing is like, it's, you know, there's not a whole lot of rush fans out there. As far as, you know, you, you once in a while, you, you see them at the concerts, you see them staying in touch with them, like pre-internet, you know, I remember uh, back in the, early 80s there was a fanzine called a show of fans mm -hmm. do you guys remember that oh yeah, yeah I do that. so I, I used to subscribe to that it was interesting to you know get get my fill of rush like four times a year but i'm uh i'm again i'm a i'm a fan from from way back and i've never sort of like sort of taken some time away from them every album is a is a journey is an experience I, and i noticed that behind you you have a drum kit are you a drummer yeah, I don't play it much anymore. Really, just a hobby, never a professional or anything. So vintage. Yeah, it looks like a nice kit. Premier kit, yeah. More than 40 years old. Now, as a chef, Chris, does being a Rush fan manifest itself in your work at all? To be a chef, it's a creative thing. And so there is parallels there, creating music, creating dishes. So, you know, it, it does lend itself to the creative side of it. But uh, I never really listened to Rush at work or listened to music at work you know, that much, uh, but, uh, the, the creative part, certainly there are parallels to it. You know, I did this YouTube thing with the guys at rush fans 
for their roundtable discussions. And one of the things we did was have a menu for a rush theme restaurant. And my daughter came up with a great name for a dish. It was Zana Vindaloo, <laughs> which, which I thought was the best. My idea wasn't, and wasn't a, um, Indian restaurant, but still, I thought it was a great name. <laughs> that is funny. That's great. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and sharing your story with us. Thanks for listening and have a great day. My, my pleasure. Thank you guys. So when I asked Chris that question, Jer, at the end about being a Rush fan and a chef, I was hoping he was going to give me Neil's stock line about care being taken oh. when he created his recipes, you know, something like that. Right. You're trying to tee him up for that. I was trying to tee him up. He didn't take the bait. Right. <laughs> but we should definitely meet up with Chris and, and check out his restaurant. Oh yeah. That would be great. I would absolutely love that. Maybe you can give me some, some knife handling tips too in the kitchen. Exactly. And any Rush fans who live in New York city, go to the Mercer kitchen and say, Hey, chef Beicher, I'm a Rush fan. Right. I don't know what you get for that. but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. You can follow him at Chef Beicher on Twitter. And uh, thanks to the chef again for joining us. Our next guest, Jer, has been a listener for a long, long time, from the very beginning, from Windsor, Ontario. Tony Salzano, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thanks, guys. My pleasure. Really appreciate you joining us. We, you know what we're going to ask. What is your Rush origin story, Tony? When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Okay, well, I was quite young, like most of us were probably, and I was already into rock and roll music, thanks to probably everybody my age to Kiss. At a very young age, I got into Kiss at like seven, eight years old or something like that. Okay, so right off the bat, I like rock and roll. So Rush, I remember the day vividly, and it was, I was just a little kid. Well, I don't know, maybe 11 years old or 12 or something like that. And I was just playing in my dad's car and flipping through the radio stations, and I hear Spirit of Radio. And it was the opening guitar riff right from the start. And I was just blown away. I'm going, my God, who in the world is this band? I had no idea who it was. You know, the drums start and it's just, oh, my God, what is going on? So immediately after the song, I went and uh, looked for my older brother and told him all about this crazy song that I heard and everything like that. And he knew what it was, what I was talking about. And uh, the very next day, he brings home all the world's a stage and he puts on Working Man with that drum solo. And that was it. It, it just took that opening riff to Spirit of Radio. It was a bright, beautiful, sunny afternoon in my dad's whatever car it was. I don't even remember what kind of car it was. Just flipping through on an AM uh, radio station here in Windsor, local station at that. And that was it. And it was Spirit of Radio. It was Spirit of Radio. Yeah. On a radio. <laughs> on the radio. And this was before Moving Pictures because by the time Moving Pictures came out, you know, I was already a Rush fan and everything like that. So it had to have been you know, them just uh, playing the Spirit of Radio single, uh, single from uh, the uh, record, right? Right. Yeah. And that was it. And been a fan ever since. So, Tony, you're Habs2112, Tony, on Twitter. So you're a big hockey fan. Yeah. What were your thoughts when Neil did the theme for Hockey Night in Canada? Did that thrill you? It's still the greatest thing I ever saw. I, we, I went to the Hockey Hall of Fame to see the drum kit. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's how great was that, you know, and it was still being played on uh, TSN here uh, up until about three or four years ago. They were still using that intro every once in a while. So why did they stop using that? I don't know. I think they just went with different openings. You know, they used it predominantly for that season that it was recorded. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was used almost every. Uh, yeah, I think they just went by seasons. But uh, periodically, they, they kept uh, using it, though, over the few years after which is kind of cool. You may remember on the podcast, Jerry and I were debating. We're not big hockey fans. We know you're a fan of the Montreal Canadiens, but what yeah. does Habs stand for? Habitant, the uh, CH. Well, actually, the H stands for hockey. The CH stands for Canadian hockey, but uh, Habs stands for Habitant, which whatever that is in French. <laughs> <laughs> no answers. We have no answers, Steve. <laughs> well, that's what it means. Habs stands for le, le Habitant. Tony, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast and sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening for all these years. You're the best. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the latest episode was fantastic. Well, not the latest, the latest before the latest uh, with the Rio was unbelievable. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tony.
Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, doing the podcast. You know, it fills my days up pretty good. So thanks. So Jared, Tony's story is a common one. We've found the spirit of radio is the entry point. Yeah. The song about the power of the radio, hearing it on the radio, right? Yep. Hearing it on the radio just cements rush in your brain forever. Right. You can follow Tony at Habs2112 on Twitter, as I mentioned. So check out Tony, follow him, tell him you heard him on the Rush Fancast. And Jarrett, to continue with the theme, we've got another listener that's been with us from the very beginning. She's from just outside of Oslo, Norway. On Twitter, she's Temple of the Cat. Annette, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You know what we're going to ask you, Annette? What is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Well, I do not remember exactly when I heard Rush because um, I think that I've heard just snippets of it from the 90s, from the MTV shows and everything. And I, I just remember um, Time Stands Still from MTV. Mm-hmm. And I'm a late bloomer when it comes to Rush. So I didn't really discover them until 2010. The thing is, I heard, of course, Tom Sawyer, and then I have some friends that listens to Rush, but they never really played it for me. So I don't know. They might have thought that I didn't like it, uh, but I, I'm really into heavy metal and rock music and, and uh, all that stuff. So I don't understand why, but it's just coincidence, I think. I just, uh, I just looked it up on YouTube, and then the first videos <clears throat> coming up, it's like from Fly By Night. Uh, you know, Anthem and then Fly By Night came up as one of the first videos. So then, then I, I was like, wow, that's different from like Tom Sawyer and everything. Of course, it's earlier. And I'm, I'm really into 70s music and 80s music. So I was like very pleasantly surprised. So actually, to be honest, I started listening to the first albums first. So I started. So uh, I've, I've listened to them all. But I've uh, fallen off the wagon after, I think, moving pictures. Mm-hmm. So up until then, I really loved those albums. After that, I've fallen off a little bit. Of course, there's great songs on every album. It's, it's Rush, so, you know, and all this stuff. And uh, guitar playing is amazing. I'm a guitar, very much a fan of guitars. I've uh, played a little bit as a teenager. So uh, I really love guitars. Uh, and um, <clears throat> I have to say this because uh, I have a friend who is an artist. Uh, I'm an artist myself, but I'm a little more underground. And uh, they went to the to the United States on a tour in 2010 when I just discovered Rush. And then uh, they played in Toronto. So I was with them as a babysitter for my friend's child. And they played at the Opera House in Toronto. Uh, so, of course, beforehand, I found out a little bit that Alex Lifeson had a um, pub or like a scene or something called the Orbit Room. Mm-hmm. So I found out where it was. So I just went there to see where it was because we had the day off. Uh, and then I went to the uh, a record store there and got some souvenirs, like some playing cards, some hats. Uh, a guitar pick <laughs> with the Rush logo on it. And then I went to the Hard Rock Cafe because Getty's Bass is in there. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I went in for a veggie burger because I'm a vegetarian. So, uh, yeah, that was fun. So I, I was a little bit nerdy at, at the time. And then I also, of course, tried to push Rush on the kid that I was taking care of. <laughs> but, by constantly having Rush on my laptop, YouTube videos and everything. So it was, it was uh, yeah, I think I, at least he knows Rush today. He's 18 years now. So, uh, so he, was, he was young back then. Mm-hmm. He was just like six years old. And how, how did it go over immediately? What do you mean by introducing Rush to him? Yeah, how did he like it immediately? Was he just like... <laughs> I think he was kind of impressed by the drum kit because uh, there was uh, these videos that filming above the drum kit. You can see all the stash. <laughs> so he was, he was very impressed by that. Now, how popular is Rush in Norway, Annette? Is Rush big out there? Do you have a lot of friends who are Rush fans or are you uh, alone in your Rush fandom? 
I'm not alone. Uh, I'm the only woman, though. <laughs> but I, I have friends who love Rush. Most of them are musicians themselves. But I definitely have a few ones who are not musicians as well. Uh, I think since I discovered them so late, I didn't go to the one of the... They had a concert here in one of the bigger arenas. So I'm not sure how, how many it holds, but Metallica and, and bands like that are playing there. So huge. So I'm so sorry that I didn't discover them before so that I could, could have seen them there. Because they usually have a stage in the middle of the venue and you can walk around. That would be awesome. <laughs> oh, it's like in, in the round, like in the middle of the venue? Mm-hmm. That's great seeing a concert like that. Especially if it spins. Especially if it's spinning around in a slow circle. Does it do that? <laughs> It, no, it doesn't. But uh, that would be that would be very cool because then you wouldn't have to move. Right. They they come to you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know much of the well that much of the later albums, so I have to apologize to all the nerds out there saying I'm not a real Rush fan. <laughs> but I am a real fan because I really love up until Moving Pictures, and then it's kind of descends a little bit. Well, we count ourselves among the nerds and thank you for joining us, even though you're not a nerd. I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for sharing your story, Annette. Have a great day. Thanks. Same to you. So whenever Annette interacts with me on Twitter, Jer, she calls us nerds. <laughs> Does she? Do you think we're nerds? Um, I think there are, uh, I think nerdism is a sliding scale, Steve. It depends on <laughs> where you stand in relation to, to the nerd. You know what I mean? I think the thing is that Annette is very much not a nerd. <laughs> She's an actual cool person. She's an actual <laughs> cool person, which makes us seem all the more nerdy. Yeah, I, I'll take that. But I do love hearing how people in other countries get turned on to Rush and just the differences between being a Rush fan here in the United States and being a Rush fan in, let's say, Oslo, Norway. Right. I get the biggest difference, of course, would be being able to see them live, right? It's a tough thing. We're lucky being in New York City, Jer, or around New we York sure City. Are. We sure are. Our next guest is from not far from here, from Boston, Kent Anderson. Welcome to the Rush Fancast. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know what we're going to ask you, Kent? What is your Rush origin story? When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Yeah, so happy to do it. It's actually two origin stories. So the first time I was a freshman in high school and I got seated in front of a guy who was super sarcastic and really funny and I loved you know cracking him up and him cracking me up and he said one he knew I was into Dungeons and Dragons and fantasy fiction and all that kind of stuff and he said oh you must love 2112 then and I said oh is that a game is that a book what is it and he said no it's from a band called Rush and before this I'd only listened to top 40 rock you know, I hadn't really, I didn't even have, I just gotten a full stereo. So I'd only been purchasing 45s up to that point. And so I went to our local record store, Raspberry Records, because I lived in Salt Lake City at the time and got the album, you know, put it on the stereo, plunked down with the liner notes. And I mean, talk about resonating. I mean, it's a story about, you know, fantasy space stuff. It's great music. It's more intense than anything I'd ever heard played so well and then i also found the band had a sense of humor because i've got passage to bangkok and then they had something for nothing which was great and the lyrics were fantastic and so i'm like all right i have found my band this is my band and i'm going to do that and that was just before moving pictures came out and so you know i would go around with my parents and we'd go into record stores and i would find you know rush albums and i found them all out of order so i have absolutely no I have to really think hard to come up with the discography order of rush because I would, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to do, here's, I found farewell to Kings and then I found permanent waves. And then I found the original one. And then I found all the world of stage. And so then moving pictures came out and rush came to play what was called the salt palace in Salt Lake city at the time. And we got tickets. I think they were $14 and a group of friends and I went and it was amazing. It was a great show. And that was my first rock concert too. And so I was really, really hooked. And after that, I went and saw Journey and Billy Joel. And I played, you know, I play piano and I had been self-taught up to that point and have been ever since, actually. 
And so I started to pick up the bass lines for Rush songs. And I'm like, okay, I can, you know, I've got the bass line for Free Will. I've got the bass line for Red Barchetta. I've got the bass line for Tom Sawyer. And then I add the right hand. And pretty soon, you know, we were trying to put together rock bands and all that kind of stuff. So Rush kind of always it got me going into thinking I might want to make music too. So oh, wow. that was the that was the first origin story. And when I kind of, and there was just something about the band Neil's lyricism is you know, how literate he was and the way they played it was just unlike anything i'd ever heard and then over the years just how they hung together they were an identifiable band you know you have i was a fan of journey but that's very clearly neil Schoen's band so people come in and out he's the only permanent fixture other bands are like that you know bob seeger and billy joel and other performers but rush was always the three guys and i always liked that then there's a second Rush origin story, if you're ready for that. Wow, a first, a second Rush origin story. This is exciting, <laughs> Jar. A bonus story. A bonus story, if you're ready. Strap in. So, you know, over the years, when I went to college, you know, you couldn't be a Rush fan anymore because it just wasn't cool enough. You had to be a REM fan or you had to be a U2 fan or something like that to be cool. You had to suppress your Rush. And, you know, then life gets busy. And they started to feel like a nostalgia act for me. And, you know, their music wasn't as vital. I would always pick it up, but it was a kind of like, you know, that was, it was nice to see what they were doing and all of that. And then Test for Echo came out and that left me cold. And then Neil went through his tragedies. They went on a hiatus and I thought, okay, that band is, is done. And then Vapor Trails came out and One Little Very opened up and they kicked in one, two, three order. They kicked the doors down again. And they were vital and they were making music again. And all of a sudden I wanted to make music again. And so I started to, you know, acquire musical instruments and play music. And then their DVDs came out so you could see them performing again. And once again, it was the three guys, decent, obviously hardworking, really, really talented. So the kind of guys you want to hang out with. And that was another round of pure musical joy that you know i'm still perpetuating to this day and you know i always find i've got so many playlists for rush now pretty rush and end of album rush and you guys have inspired a number of them too by your selections it's kind of like you know the you know the fade out rush so All right <laughs> steve's least favorite rush yeah i won't send you that set list i'll send it to you jerry you can use it to taunt him yeah that's right but you know i'm curious i've never really uh played D and D, you know, super into D and D, but why isn't there like rush themed D and D adventures? I don't know. You know, I think they borrowed from Tolkien and others. And then when they went science fiction, it was more futuristic. Right. So it didn't really fit with the whole medieval trope, but I think a lot of kind of storytelling, abstract thinking, you know, I mean, we all remember the Colbert right. interview and Colbert, you know, he made a few things really acceptable socially. Lord of the Rings, Dungeons yeah. and Dragons, Rush. And, you know, I think after that, all the stigma that went with being a Rush fan vanished. And, you know, you can go out on YouTube and find so many young people now doing reaction videos to Rush. Yeah. Because it's cool. And because then they listen to the music and they're like, that's fantastic. You know, how did they do that? It's three guys, and you know, I can't believe it, and so on and so forth. And I, you know, your interview with, I just want to mention this, your interview with Patty Pershala came at a perfect time because I just went down to New York City and saw Why Why Not at City Winery. Oh, wow. How was it? Just a couple of weeks ago. It was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. It was just transcendent. And it felt, you know, again, that connection with, you know, she, she can hit the notes with the intensity and the range that getty delivered and the band is excellent and it was just it was fantastic they were they're just i can't wait to see what they do now you jump back on board with vapor trails i'm curious if you went back to test for echo and some of the other albums that you didn't appreciate and did you appreciate those later yeah definitely i mean the you know it, it's interesting to listen to you guys go through them because you know the whole kind of mixing and mastering of some of you know hold your fire and presto kind you know probably made it harder to appreciate the songs but now 
you go back and you listen to them and you're like, that's a really great song. And the mixing and mastering don't bother you because I th- part of it is also there's nothing to look forward to. So it's, if you want to find new rush in a way, you go back to those overlooked things and it feels a little bit new. Um, and you can appreciate, you can put on your new uh, glasses and say, okay, I'm going to treat this like it's a new song. And of course, you just go back to available light anytime you need a touchstone from that period. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, well, Ken, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rush Fancast. Thanks for listening for two and a half years. We appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, guys. So, Jared, that one, we got two stories for the price of one. Always fun. <laughs> That's right. Now, two questions for you about Kent's story. Mm. Number one, do you think most Rush fans are Dungeons and Dragons fans? Hmm, that's hard to say. I think that's definitely um, a perception. I can remember when we were doing um, the Russian pop culture, I think we played a clip from the Goldbergs Mm -hmm. where the main characters sisters friends call them that wizard band (laughs) called Rush that wizard band. I think that's definitely a an idea that people have about Rush fans too. Okay, but what about Dungeons and Dragons fans? Are most Dungeons and Dragons fans Rush fans? How about that? Oh, the other way around. The other way around. I'm going to say yes. I would think yes, too. Yeah. (laughs) I think that Venn diagram overlaps. For sure. You can find Kent Anderson at Kent Anderson on Twitter. Give him a follow. Thanks, Kent, again for sharing your story with us. And Jar, our next guest is from Westchester, New York, not far from here at all. Laura Kozowski, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, Steve. I'm excited to be on this podcast and share my Rush origin story. Well, you just ruined my question. I was going to ask you what your (laughs) Rush origin story was. Tell us, Laura, please. Yeah. All right. So mine may not be as glamorous as some other people's Rush origin stories, but It's maybe a little unique, so I'm excited to tell it. So back in the late 80s, I was a teenager and I was into pop rock, you know, um, new wave, things like the cars, REM, the outfield, but I didn't really know classic rock. And then I went off to college. I went to college at Duke in the early 90s and I had this boyfriend who was really into classic rock and he got me into some really great music like Led Zeppelin, The Who, Steely Dan, Traffic, and Rush was one of his favorite bands too. So I got exposed to Rush then. And I got the Chronicles double disc CD. Um, We went to the Roll the Bones concert in March of 92 at Chapel Hill, but I wasn't really hooked at that point. I was still just, you know, all over the place, just loved lots of bands, but I wasn't just like really devoted to Rush at that point. And many, many years went by. Fast forward to 2014, I moved to New York for a job and I still listen to my Rush Chronicle CD every now and then. You know, I just, I love Spirit of Radio. I loved a lot of the songs on there. I, you know, it has everything spanning from early Rush to later stuff, but, um, but I just, wasn't again really hooked at that point but I, I went to this dinner for work and sometimes the conversation gets boring and I love to bring up bands to people so I brought up who's your favorite band to my work colleagues and we ran around the table and this um, woman I work with she just very definitively said rush and it was just really eye-opening for me um, because it reminded me you know hey I saw them in concert and I have their disc but I don't know that much and it was just really intriguing, like what about Rush has done it for her? So I um, spent my Thanksgiving that year in 2014 watching a bunch of Rush concert footage on YouTube, um, like just all everything from the 70s all the way through, you know, the 90s, 2000s. And it was it was really amazing. And I was at that point, I was really, yeah, OK, I'm getting hooked. I'm getting hooked. This is I can see why she why she said that. And, um, and yeah, it just didn't wane really at all. And my interest level and my deep dives, everything about Rush just got very strong. And I just read everything I could about them from articles and anything I could find on the web. Of course, YouTube, I love to read people's comments on all the concert footage. It's just fun to read how strong the Rush community is. 
Yeah. And then I, I just knew I had to go see them. And luckily the timing was such that Rush still was doing the R40 shows. And I was like, yeah, I, I got to go see them live. I can't believe this could be their last year touring. And so I booked two shows. I w- went by myself to the Atlanta show R40. And then I went to Madison Square Garden with a couple of friends. It was just stunning to be able to be there and see them live finally after, um, you know, all those years I missed out, I, I would say, between 92 and 2015. That was a lot of years of missing out. But after that, you know, and I, I followed everything going on, of course, the retirement and, and then the finality of the band. But I then, like, my interest level, my obsession didn't stop. So I had to find other outlets. And, and now my what I love to do is see Rush tribute bands in the area. So all over the New York City area, I'll go and travel <laughs> for, for Rush tribute bands. I love seeing Rush tribute bands. And I love meeting fans, Adam, too. And they're very amenable to, to meeting people. So um, Lotus Land, I've seen five times. And then I've seen Vicky Flyer Hudson's band in Atlanta back in 2015. I saw them in Atlanta when I was there on a trip. But the spirit of Rush, and, and I love them. They're phenomenal. They're so personable, too. And then um, I've seen Limelight. They're based in Connecticut. I've seen them just once, but they were great. And then I've seen Moving Pictures. They're based in New York City twice here in the last couple of months in December and January. So, and and guys, Xanadu's coming to New Jersey <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> you got to go. You got to go. Two shows coming up in March and one in April. So, and I know you guys live close to there, so that'd be fantastic to meet you and see you there, but, and all the other Rush fans I know will be at Xanadu. And Jerry, you love to talk about fans proselytizing, you know, Rush fans proselytizing, and that's totally me. I'm always uh, uh, wearing my Rush shirt, hoping to strike up a conversation, hoping to get people interested in Rush in my neighborhood, walking my dogs, I'll proudly display my Rush shirt. So, and it, and it is fun. It's fun. I do strike up some good, some good conversation. And all I have to say is obsession has to have action. <laughs> you know, I went to, I, I flew down to um, Atlanta to see the spirit of rush and I actually played triangle on hemispheres, got up on stage and I hit that triangle. I have to say I played it. It was great. I played it pretty, really well. I do say so myself. Jerry nailed it. Yeah. And I remember your podcast episode where you <laughs> discussed that after coming back. And I think I even saw the video of, of you with uh, Vicky down there and played the triangle. How fun. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. But I, I love those guys down there. It's too bad they don't they don't travel further out of Atlanta um, for their shows, but I miss, I miss seeing them, you know, the, I've seen them only the once, but I follow all the, all their videos and all. So it's great to see them. <laughs> well, Laura, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your story. We really appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Absolutely. Steve and Jerry, thanks so much. Hope to see you at Xanadu. Now I love the fact that Laura is keeping the flame burning, Jer, by going to see all these Rush tribute bands. She's a Rush tribute band follower. Yeah, she just wants to hear Rush songs. <laughs> Can't say that I blame her, but the, the thing that struck me is I don't think I've ever seen a Rush tribute band ever. Well, yeah, I've only seen one. The Spirit of Rush, right? Right, the Spirit of Rush. So until about six months ago, you hadn't either. That's right. I wonder if this should be something we start doing, Jer. I mean, why not? What else do we have to do, Steve? Nothing. All right, let's do it. Laura's invited us. I say we should do it. Let's just, yeah, let's just go. All right, cool. So we've got one more, Jer, before we wrap things up. From Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, at ChuckB36 on Twitter. Chuck Byers, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You're a longtime listener to the podcast, and you know what we're going to ask you. (laughs) What is your Rush origin story, Chuck? When did you first hear Rush, and how did you become a fan? Well, I think I discovered you guys when you had about maybe five episodes in the can, and I've been listening every episode since, really enjoy it. And I've been thinking a lot about how I came to discover Russian. So here it is. So basically, fall of 1978, I'm a sophomore in high school and a big Kiss fan at the time, probably seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And I don't remember when I discovered Kiss, but 
I do remember when I discovered Rush. The local radio station played Working Man and Closer to the Heart, Fly by Night at the time, but um, nothing really deep. Hanging out with a friend of mine after school, listening to, you know, George Carlin, Cheech and Chong, you know, that kind of stuff. So into the spoken word. And he says, here, here, let me put you in some headphones and listen to this song. So put on that. And these aren't just earbuds, you know, earbuds. I mean, these are the big cans with the, the curly Q, you know, 70s stereo headphones. And he drops the needle on the fourth track. And I hear as gray traces of dawn tinge the eastern sky, you know, and, and it's just like, wow, you know, and, and that whole, that whole song is just amazing. So it just blew my mind. I'm 15. Okay. So it set the stage at that too. So the next weekend after this, I take the bus out to our local mall in Pittsburgh, Mon- Monroeville mall filming site of George Romero's classic dawn of the dead. If you've ever seen that. Yep. So I pick up, this <laughs> this wow. very album is this is 44 years ago i i bought caress of steel and again like i said big kiss fan but you know reading through the lyrics of this a steel day i think i'm going bald is my is my theme song here. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know that i was getting this you know later in life but uh but anyway so a few months later rush is coming to town and I, I got it here too. I saved it. Yeah. So January 19th, 1979, Rush comes to Pittsburgh Civic Arena, which is a domed arena where, you know, home of the Pittsburgh Penguins at the time, it's gone now, but it's a shame. It had a retractable roof so that you could, they would open the roof at night and you could see the stars, you know, oh, uh, wow. after a show. And I've been in it. I don't think they did it for this show because it's in January. It's a little cold, but you know they'd open it, and this huge cloud of smoke would just envelop the city. You know, from the from what was inside the, because you were allowed to smoke in the in the arenas back then. So friends of mine, different different friend that turned me on to the to the Necromancer. We go to the show, and this was my first concert ever. Okay, and my first and only festival seating show, which means no assigned seats. Mm-hmm controlled chaos i mean we, we tried to get into the theater or into the arena and they had locked the inside door so we're inside this little vestibule and they were being pushed from the side i mean this in 1980 the who cincinnati you know disaster where 11 people were trampled during a festival seating show i think that was one of the last ones but anyway we get in we're 15 years old we find some seats nice seats like on the other end of the of the ice and uh we watched the opening act and uh shortly after that, we, you know, the opening acts over, we go and roam around, get a Coke or something, go back. Our seats are gone. So we almost get into a fight there. And then we, we find some seats about center ice, maybe five rows, five or 10 rows up on Getty's side. And it, it just, the show just blew my mind. I mean, they did, I'm looking at this passage to Bangkok by tour in a snow dog, Xanadu, something for nothing, the trees, and then Cygnus X1. Um, I wanted to tell you guys, I know you said you've never seen Cygnus X1. When they did that back then, they they had a screen behind Neil's kit, and the Rossinante looked like the space shuttle, and they hadn't even <laughs> launched the space shuttle yet, and it flies into the black hole, and then you know, and then it all goes off, and then they did the whole hemispheres, and they did that in Closer to the Heart, Circumstances, A Farewell to Kings, La Via Strangiato, all of twenty one twelve except for what's the one that they always skip, but they, but they Oracle. did, yeah, okay, so they didn't do they didn't do Oracle working man and of course neil solo and neil at the time had the had the long hair oh let me i know we're you're not going to be on video but let me show you what my at the time 12 year old daughter drew for me oh wow oh my god you've got to send me a picture of that she is she is she's 13 now and she's getting even better so she's she can take a photograph of anything and, and draw a pencil art it's just really amazing it's a beautiful picture of neil for those listening and not watching right. and we're the only ones watching <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just talking like everyone knows what it is. Oh, that's gorgeous. I can't believe it. <laughs> and she just, yeah, she, she's, she's a very, very talented artist, my, my, my girl. So anyway, so, um, they did, um, steel day that day. I was hoping for, uh, I think I'm going bald, but they didn't. So, I mean, I walked out of that show, a true rush fan and my last name being buyers, my two buddies that were with me, christened me by tour and, uh, small circle of friends in high school called me that throughout the rest of my high school career. And I use that name for, you know, gamer tags and stuff like that. So, you know, I've always, 
in Bitor. But um, yeah, no, and then so 79 to my last show was 97. I saw them nine times. I did see eight tours. So I saw Roll the Bones twice. And, you know, they didn't come through Pittsburgh with you guys. You're, you know, New York, New Jersey, mm-hmm. Philly, you can travel around yeah. and see them. I mean, what do you say? 20? 28 times. Yeah. 28 times. Yeah. yeah. I just watched um, Time Stand Still documentary this morning. I found it on, uh, on Pluto TV. It's free there. If you haven't seen it, I, I, you've probably seen it, but I'd never, mm-hmm. I'd never seen it. I'd seen the other one and um, got to see people that were saying that they've seen them, you know, a hundred plus times, mm-hmm. just amazing. You know, so they travel. I don't have that kind of cash, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I think it's amazing that your first song was the necromancer and you came back. <laughs> I am unapologetically saying that my favorite album is Caressa steel. I mean, everybody, uh, not everybody. I mean, a, a lot of people, especially the musicians you guys had on have said that they really they like it or they've, they've come back to it or there is their favorite. I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't really, uh, even Getty doesn't, you know, they look, he's just looking back. He doesn't, I've heard him interview say he's, he's not happy with it, but um, no. Right. So from probably the original album through moving pictures is my favorite era. I was a sophomore in college when signals came out and I was like, well, I'm, I'm too mature for talking about high school halls, you know? So <laughs> I, that's when I kind of fell off a little bit. Um, kind of had a, a Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, Zeppelin, Doors phases, you know, before falling back into them around Hold Your Fire. And I saw them uh, through that, through Test for Echo. So my, my album is different stages because it has the old one from the, that Odeon Theater or whatever over, in, over mm-hmm. in London, right, is from 78. So it's less than a year from my first show. And the other two discs are basically the Test for Echo tour that I saw them last in. So do I have time for a, uh, my, my palindromic number theory that I have? Of course. About Rush? Okay. Let's hear it. So 79 and 97, you put those two numbers together. 7997 is a, is a palindromic number. That's my addition to it. But 2112, of course, you know, 2112, same mm-hmm. thing forwards and backwards. 100101 from body electric right right okay Mm -hmm. um is also a palindromic binary number that binary number converts to the number 73 okay okay follow me here this is a a heavy (laughs) math okay (laughs) jerry loves math okay so uh prime numbers uh divisible by one and itself is a prime number right Mm -hmm. 73 is the 21st prime number 21. If you reverse 73 and make and go 37, 37 is the 12th prime number. No, come on. <laughs> Neil had to think this up because one zero zero one zero zero one. I mean, you know, wow. Isn't that cool? That is very cool. That's a theory for the bowels of Reddit. I think somewhere. I, I actually, I stole that, that thing. The 73 was supposedly uh, Sheldon from uh, Big Bang. That's his mm-hmm. perfect number. So that was in there. But just I, it caught me that twenty-one and twelve were part of that. Yeah. Were part of that theory. So wow, interesting. I thought that was cool. What's the larger implication of this? Nothing. Really, nothing. <laughs> no, I mean it. Really, <laughs> really doesn't mean anything except for, like I said, it had to be the genius of Mr. Neil Peart to put that number in there because 2112 i've always thought was the year but it's also his birthday right uh, mm-hmm. and 912 which is also and i didn't realize this uh, until of a couple of years ago um it well i know i know it's it's me and my wife's wedding anniversary is uh, 912 but it's also neil's so i was married on neil's birthday oh wow so and from the time neil died I've been listening to nothing but Rush. I've I've got an old uh, Subaru with a six six disc changer, and it's had nothing but Rush CDs in it. So, I've been a fan of other bands and am still throughout the years, but Rush has been there since since '78. So, well, our listeners know you as Old School Chuck. We talk about you all the time. It's <laughs> nice to finally did. put a voice <laughs> to the man. And thanks for joining us, Chuck. Appreciate you sharing your story. No, I appreciate you having me on, guys. Thanks. I'll be listening.
Now, before we started recording with Chuck, Jer, I said to him, he should have his own podcast. What a voice on that guy. What a melodious voice on that guy, right? <laughs> Holy moly. I don't know why. I mean, I've been interacting with him on Twitter for a couple of years now, and for whatever reason, it didn't occur to me that he was that kind of voice. How would you know on Twitter, Steve? How would you know? You don't know. You don't know these things. You don't know. But old school Chuck is great. I just love the fact that we've converted him into liking a lot of the newer Rush, too. And he's let us know, you know, he's listened to the, the later albums and liked them based on our conversations, which I think is just amazing. Yeah, I like that, too. Like I've said uh, a couple of times before, you know, it's every Rush fan's dream to corner somebody and talk about Rush and convince them to like them. So it's, it's very gratifying. We've done it with Chuck, at least for the post-Signals Rush. Right. So your thoughts... On round two of Rush origin stories, Jar, what do you think? I think the well is inexhaustible, Steve, of stories <laughs> that people have about Rush, about how they got into Rush. You know what we could do? Just scrap everything else we're doing and just do this every week. Just make it a, an origin <laughs> podcast, an origin-centered podcast. We could if we run out of ideas. We could just do it. Why not? So next week... <laughs> <laughs> More Rush origin stories. Next week, we'll have all new brilliant content for you, Jerry. I don't know what it is, but something brilliant. Yeah, sure. Let's just call it that. Something brilliant. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Rush Fancast. Instagram, find us at The Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Let him know what you thought of round two of Rush origin stories. If you'd like to share your story with us, email us. Next time we do this, we may ask you. Follow or subscribe via your favorite podcast app. Lex, of course, did the bass intro and outro. And Jerry, of course, has a quote because he never disappoints. I never forget the quotes, Steve. You know that. <laughs> and it's from Bravest Face. Oh, nice. I like that song about this wonderful world. It's got a sunny point of view. And sometimes I feel it's true, at least for a few of us. Thanks, Jerry. Have a good one. All right. See you later.